tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. AfterBuzz TV, the destination for TV superfans. Producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! No. No. No, it's the final no. And I haven't read the manga, so I'm like, I'm just waiting. Well, you know, Dave, I could. now you got plenty of time and the internet. Go for it. Honestly, nah, I've been waiting I would for say anime. read the manga so you don't get spoiled in the interim, because you're going to get spoiled otherwise. Yeah, so it's better much. to spoil yourself than to let other people spoil you. So and joining us. Borrow it from the library or borrow it from a friend or pay for it. We do want to support the people Probably making this so it. they continue if, to well, make it. Is there an actual subtitle of the newest stuff for like that you can pay for? No. No, I don't think there is. Subs. Yeah, it's all fan subs. All right, so uh, joining us today, John Quick. How are you guys doing? Katie Colin. Hi, all my buddies. Megan Salinas. Hey, guys. And I'm Dave Klein for the final episode of the first season, and I believe on the phone already. Really quick, we already have on with us J. Michael Tatum, a.k.a. Commander Irvin. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. And this was a big episode for your character, the final episode of the season. Yeah, I think it was a big episode for many of the characters. Well, the ones that are still standing, anyway. <laughs> and a last episode for a few. So you're you're a stated anime fan. So did you know how big Attack on Titan was before you got the role for Commander Irvin? Oh yeah, you know, and I think I would have been aware of how big it was even if I hadn't been an anime fan because I had just I, I've I've encountered a lot of shows obviously in my time both that I've worked on and that I've just uh, come to because I I love anime but Attack on Titan was one of those shows that I was it felt like I was hearing about it from everybody even in like your non traditional anime circles like I would hear about it from a friend of a friend who as far as I knew had never watched an anime in his or her life. Um, and they'd be like, are you going to get the show? Are you going to work on the show? Are you going to write on the show? And I was like, I, I'm going to slow down. And I don't know. Like, that's a lot of pressure. And, uh, so by the time, by the time I was given it to, to work on as an adaptive writer, I, I guess I've been hearing about it from just, it seemed like everybody had been talking about it for the better part of six months. So, uh, by the time I knew I'd be working on the show as a lead adaptive writer, when I got that call, I, quietly assented to work on it and then hung up the phone and this little cartwheel in my hotel room. <laughs> like actual cartwheel? An actual cartwheel. Well, I mean... I'm impressed. I'm gonna call it, I remember it as a cartwheel. I don't know. Someone looking in on my a, room might, might call it something else, but I, I, I've, my vanity wants to call it a cartwheel. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that. I'm okay with that. So what I'm really curious about is we, we've talked to a lot of voice actors on the show, but I, we haven't talked to any adaptive writers, so I'm really curious what that process is like for you and how you tackle it, especially on a show like Attack on Titan. Well, it's it's different. I mean, it's uh, by and large, adaptive writers are you know our job, and we see it as our job to to try to give uh, these these incredible franchises, these shows, um, a home in English. You know, it's it's never seen as something like oh, we're going to make this better, we're going to do this. It's just like you know, this is an, an amazing concept. The original Japanese is is 
you know, just phenomenal. Um, and we want to, you know, be part of it in some way. And so we know that uh, we want to help bring it to a wider audience who might otherwise uh, be dissuaded from watching it because of the language barrier. Right. So our job is basically, uh, it's, it's easy in the sense that it's not up to us who lives or dies, the girl or the guy, you know, it's not up to us. Um, and, and what we do have, but we, at the same time, it's, you know, our, our main, really our only concern is to kind of uh, give the characters, you know, a convincing voice in, in a new language. Um, and that can be very, very, very challenging because there are so many, so many differences in the way j- uh, Japanese and English work, not only on like a grammatical structural level, but also in, in terms of how they create mood and atmosphere, how characters use language to reveal themselves or you know, to the audience. You know, that's, that both languages, Japanese and English, have matured over the centuries into very, very different wealths of you know, tropes and, and uh, things that, that to each you know, native ear just, you know, means this. Like a rose means something very differently. Yeah. Or it can come to mean very different things metaphorically and otherwise in English than it can in Japanese because the two languages just approach it from a different perspective. So it's, it's and when we're working as an adaptive writer, all we have is language. Like I said, we don't get to decide, you know, how the plot unfolds. Um, we, we have to make sure that within the scaffolding, the, the plot structure, that the characters will come off to an English-speaking audience as real and persuasive and, and, you know, have depth. And that can be, I mean, that's the joy of it. I mean, as a writer, I love character. I like, that's what brings me to the table as a writer and as a reader. So character is my specialty. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, it is kind of nice not to have to worry about plot. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, someone else has done all that heavy lifting. Now I can just focus on giving the characters uh, dimension. And that, that's, but it, it comes with a challenge, too, because, like, especially in the case of Titan, you know, there are many times I'm like, man, if I was making this show, I love this particular character so much, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have killed them off so soon. Why? You know. <laughs> oh, wow. Tetra, no! <laughs> just, oh. really sucked into it, watching it, because, you know, you watch it as an audience member first when you're working on it as an adaptive writer. So, you know, my job is to go through and watch the entire series, and then suddenly I'm going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, there, oh my god, you know. It's <laughs> so, so do you actually speak okay. Japanese and write Japanese as well? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I maybe speak enough Japanese to get myself into some really, really deep trouble over Japan, but not, not enough, not enough to be an expert, not enough to like look at, at a particular word in Japanese and give you like a fourth level meaning definition of it. Is that a story um, behind but, that? Um, at, at Funimation, we have a team of translators who will yeah. really, I mean, that's, that's their expertise. They know not only the language, um, but they understand the cultural references. Okay, and, that's and good. The, the sort of, um, you know, the sort of, this vocabulary of imagery and, and, you know, poetic tropes that kind of infuse their language. They go, well, this means this, and the equivalent might be this. So we work with a team of translators who give us as close as humanly possible to a direct translation. Yeah. Um, and then we work from, from that material to, to, um, you know, make it make it sound at home in English, I guess, because a straight translation text. delivered in the booth by a voice actor rarely sounds like they're really speaking English anymore. It's <laughs> you know, strange and and alien, and it it kind of takes you out of the moment. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot of people involved in that adaptive process. We we lead writers or we, we adaptive writers are just part of it. 
how worried do you get, mm. especially with how um, as a show like this, fans are really into it and dig into every little bit and piece and detail. Do you ever get worried when you're working on that adaptive screenplay that there might be one small detail that, I mean, maybe three seasons later or something, just something that has more significance than you might realize that as you're adapting it, might get changed in the process. Like, how much care do you take into that? And how do you ever get worried that you might somehow switch something around slightly to adapt it for our audience? Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, 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 um, we, I, I, and I think I speak for most of us in this business, are painfully aware of how easy it is to misstep and get a tiny detail wrong that seems really insignificant in one place but might come back to bite us in the ass, you know, two years later in season four. Um, you know, we try our best. I mean, we, do, we, we, we try to be very, very careful, and we go over the original material with a fine-tooth comb to take away, you know, like, okay, that, that seems, you know, that seems like they're going to do something with that, so we need to be very, very close to what, pay very close attention to any references. And, and you know, it's, it's not as though the Japanese give us the stuff and say, have fun figuring out what we want you to do. <laughs> and with us, too. And make sure, you know, to make sure that we don't, um, you know, oh, no, actually, don't do that. You know, this, this is, we were going somewhere else with that. I mean, that yeah. rarely happens in my experience. And luckily, um, just because of the way anime storytelling, the anime storytelling style works, it's rare that as, as a writer that I've encountered details like that, that, that gotten even slightly askew from the original translation can overturn a story. Like, it doesn't really happen because, it's most of the shows uh, I've encountered, you know, for all their outward trappings, they're still very character driven. And as yeah. long as you're true to the character and to the, to the, uh, the, uh, I guess the, the, the extent to which and the speed at which their, their motivations are revealed to the audience over time, as long as you're true to that, you're, I, it's really hard to run foul of the creator's original vision. Um, and that's good. I mean, because I think it's something I've commented on before, but I think it bears repeating that, um, you know, when I go to anime conventions, um, I'm, I have it confirmed for me every single time that this is very much a character-driven uh, artistic industry. You know, these it's people go, they, people cosplay as characters, you know. I, I don't see anyone dressed up as an explosion or a plot twist. Well, I dressed you know. up as Shinganshina District <laughs> last time I went. I've seen a few people dressed up like that, actually. They, they have the poster, and then they have the uh, colossal titan mask, and when you take their picture, they just peek over the top of the poster. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds incredible. Um, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that's, that was the one well, good thing about that particular con, was that cosplay. <laughs> well, speaking of characters, when uh, when did you decide to start auditioning for the role as well? Obviously, you got the part to, um, you were able to get involved on in the writing process. How did the audition process go? Uh, well, the audition process, you know, uh, as a writer, it's out of my hands. You know, I, I do, usually it works. So that uh, the way the way the the whole process of writing and recording works, let me kind of give you some insight into that. Um, generally, when recording is started, there is only about six to seven adapted scripts ready to go into the booth. Yeah. So once the show is cast, um, you know we continue writing, obviously staying just a few episodes ahead of where they are in the booth. Um, so that there's a great deal of overlap, you know, and so I was playing Erwin and also writing the show um, for much of, for, uh, together at the same time for, you know, several months. So when I started writing, I, at first when I started writing, um, you know, I, I, I try to, oh, as an actor, I'm so anxious of 
you know, jinxing myself or jinxing yeah. my chances of getting work. But I, I try not to hone in on a character and go, oh, I want to play that guy. Or like, Man, <laughs> that kind of really interesting because, you know, it's just going to break your heart when you don't get it. And nine times out of ten, you don't. It's just the way this business is. So I try to focus on just writing it and, and kind of getting my head around every character as a writer so that, you know, I can I can just kind of get through the writing process. And then when I get called into audition, as everyone did, because this show has a huge, huge set of recurring characters. I think last count it was something like 76 characters wow, who are in more than Whoa. one episode. Um, you know, and that, that includes, like, people that are, like, you know, just saying something on the side of, of the screen or something that did yet come back. I mean, there's just a huge cast. So I think it, I'm like, I'll probably be something in this because I don't think there are that many, I don't think there are enough North American voice actors (laughs) (laughs) to fill every shoe. Um, And when I got Urban, I was kind of surprised, um, you know, because I auditioned for for several parts and I didn't necessarily feel that I was right for any of them because, well, that's me as a writer speaking, though, because there's nothing more stressful than working on a show as an actor that you've also been the adaptive writer on because then you've got no scapegoat in the booth if you can't make a line work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's very stressful. So I'm like, oh, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Oh, great. I'm playing Erwin. Damn it. And uh, and the actor me is like, yes, I'm playing Erwin. Kick ass. Um, it's like we have a new adaptive writer in here for this. I need to write really good lines for my character. <laughs> I mean, it happens every time that I was that I would be in recording for Erwin. Um, Mike McFarland, the show's uh, director, as well as as uh, Jean, um, would record me, and we have this very humorous relationship. We all we love to just pick on each other in the booth because that's just who we are. And so I'll be in there, and he'll be like. Wow, I'm having trouble reading the line you wrote. I'm like, who wrote this crap? <laughs> that, that would come up at least once every single time. Yeah, but, nice. Um, but of all the characters, of all the characters I could have um, chosen to, to you know, if I if I could have chosen for myself, I think Erwin is probably the one I might have picked for myself, just because I felt like he is one of the easiest. And I don't say that out of disrespect I just say that relative like he doesn't do as nearly as much screaming as everyone else does you know he doesn't have nearly the 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 line count so he's not it's not an intensive process you know I you could I mean I have nothing but respect for like Bryce Pappenbrook and and uh, Josh Greeley and Shane and Shungrove because they're line counts but there's so much screaming so much (laughs) desperate shrill, just vocal cord shredding, screaming. And yeah. I'm like, I want the character that doesn't do a lot of screaming. I think Erwin had like one line where he had to say fire really, really loud. That was as, that was as uncomfortable as it got for me. So I think uh, I still have a lot of children for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that's a great point about that character, though. He really is one of the few characters who commands so much respect from people he doesn't have to speak of, which we don't see in this world. He makes the lines count. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't speak much, and and that makes him interesting for me to play as a, as a human being because I am not a man of few words, <laughs> so I really have to kind of dig deep to get around this this cipher of a man that commands so much respect, but on so little expression. Like he just it take even an audience member, you know, as the audience watching the show, you it takes you some time to warm up to Erwin. I find because you think I don't know about this guy, he just. <laughs> 
seems kind of dis- just like distant from everything. Like, does he is he crazy? Is he shell shocked? Is he to be trusted? You know. But then, you know, there are a couple of you know, then then some big things happen, and you see how he responds as a leader in the moment under duress, and you go, okay, that's that's why he can get away with saying very little because anyone that's spent any amount of time with him in battle knows that this is your pillar, this is your rock. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating for that reason because it, everyone everyone else is shrieking and running for their lives and sweating bullets waiting for like the, the, the next Titan attack. Erwin is like alarmingly calm. Alarmingly calm. Yeah. And you have to really you have to wonder as an actor like where does he go in his own mind? Where does he go in himself to, to draw from to get that that level of serenity when he's surrounded by so much death. Yeah, I mean, this episode we just watched is a perfect example of that where, Irvin, uh, things seem like they didn't go so well with the female Titan in this last episode, and Irvin's called in by his superiors and still completely calm about everything, and you you feel like he's got it under control regardless. But we actually do have to, speaking of the last episode, we actually do need to continue our wrap-up for our show, but thank you so much for calling in. It was so great talking to you. Uh, no problem. Thanks for letting me ramble, uh, ramble guys. I uh, really appreciate you uh, having me on. Yeah, it was it really was interesting. interesting. Oh, Very no. interesting. It was awesome. Where can fans go if they want to find out more about you? Um, nowhere. I'm a mystery. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mystery wrapped inside uh, of I have a Twitter. I have a Twitter. It's uh, uh, J. Michael Tatum, uh, uh, twitter.com, and I have a Facebook page. And apart from that, I am just kind of... Around, I like to be <laughs> mysterious, so catch me if you can. <laughs> okay. All right. See you at the con. Thank I'll you be, so much. My name is Tom Hanks, and I will do that. All right. <laughs> so see you later. Thank you so much. All right. So that again, Tom was, Hanks. Jay Michael, catch me if you can. The movie. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio was actually the reference that you wanted to go with. No, that. no, yeah. wasn't Leonardo the one who was trying? Who was no. getting caught? Yeah, he was Leonardo getting DiCaprio caught by Tom was Hanks. The guy getting caught by Tom Hanks. So if I'm saying I was Tom Hanks, I was searching for him who was Leonardo hey, DiCaprio. Dave, Dave, look how many steps we had to take to get that joke. <laughs> yeah, just just to let you know that uh, was Megan almost- got it right away. So <laughs> I still feel like we need the little sound effect. The womp womp. Honestly, it's okay. I just you try. What the story was <laughs> with the. Uh, that's the Thank one. Thank you. I thought it was pretty quick, and I don't care what you guys said. I just want to know what the story was with him getting in trouble in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> let's be real. That's, that's what I want to know. That sounds like a fun story. All right. So we, uh, let's go ahead and move forward to uh, actually talking about the episode. So we've got uh, – we've actually start with the wall here. Uh, well, the priest of the wall, the church of the wall, oh, essentially. I'm so happy. <laughs> this, should, this should not have been as funny as it was, but this was hilarious because because we get to see Wall Church. We get to see, and we pray to the three saints and the divine architect, and they keep us safe in proportion to our worship. All hail! And then the Titan comes <laughs> straight through and just massacres everyone on impact. Except for the three priests who were standing there like, what just happened? Well, well they were standing off to the side. Yeah. I mean, Mid-sentence <laughs> massacre. It was comedic timing is what this was and that's why it was hilarious well, and I do it love was death. really funny last week because we had Lauren you know watching with us and all of us have seen the show before and so it gets to that part where Annie crashes into the church and all of us are just like because <laughs> we know exactly what happened at the beginning of this episode yeah, yeah. and that also there gives you some insight church. too because like I mean last episode when we saw the church it didn't seem like that big of a deal it's just like oh Godzilla 
the smashing the buildings thing. And this will give you insight to that's probably what's like every single time they crash into a building throughout this episode. And they oh, yeah. crash something through like that. a lot yeah. of buildings. Well, I remember buildings. when they go into that tower where she drags her fingers across the tower. We just see like military police going <laughs> flying, flying everywhere. I just they got to the market right in front of the wall and just. Yeah, took out all of the trash and the people. Like, yep. What? My cabbages! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's Avatar <laughs> Last nice Airbender. Thank you, thank you. I'll be here until probably about ten minutes from now. Oh, I'm yes, sorry, John. I've never seen The Last Airbender, so I don't get the reference. <laughs> well, that is your fault, Dave. That is totally your See, fault. See, that was a direct reference that most people will understand. How is that any more direct? It. <laughs> he gets it. Anyway, but what's, <laughs> what's interesting to note is after she does crash into the church, she sees the kind of death and destruction and in her own way kind of tries to minimize it. I mean, she's not exactly avoiding the military police or going to avoid crashing into buildings, but she sees that and goes, maybe this isn't the best place to hang out and fight. Hey, there's a football field or something. Let's go there. Yeah. But it's not like Dragon Ball Z where you can just fly to a remote desert somewhere. <laughs> it's a big place on Earth that doesn't exist. Oh, look, it's right over there. That one. Yeah. Well, when you fly that fast, it's all good. It works. So, yeah, they ended up doing this chase. She did flying at some point. Yes, she did. Oh, yeah. And as this is all happening, the scouts are trying to help the situation. They really can't do much. you got the military police trying to put on they their really gear. They really can't do much. <laughs> trying to. I haven't put this on since college, guys. What do I do? <laughs> It's more like high school, really. Yeah, like junior high. Yeah. It's like practicing math again. Like, oh crap, what's algebra? Oh, oh it's been a while. X. <laughs> My Dude, life I did depends on it. in high school. I did too. That was murder. Yeah, uh, they're just standing in the middle of the street doing it, and they didn't did they did not hear the <laughs> getting closer. Like, but should... the thing is, it's all around them. The vibrations. How can you tell at that point? I don't know. They do it in Jurassic Park. <laughs> There's just... the military police. They're drunk and stupid. So as as this fight's going on, we have on the other side, we have Niall still holding Commander Irvin hostage and still unsure what to do as he's getting this information about the Titan battle now that's going on and ending up uh, basically questioning if he should kill Irvin or not and Irvin just being like, well, why don't you just... Make your up your own decision. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I absolutely love that the guy, you know, Niall is basically getting ready to murder him. And he's like, okay, you know, if that's your decision, that's totally okay. I totally accept that. You're going to be in charge in my stead. Do this and do this. This guy's in charge of this. This guy's in charge of that. And here's a thing you need to know. And immediately Niall backpedals and goes, wait, 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 wait. No, no, I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want that responsibility. He called his bluff and it was beautiful. It's like, Okay. You're in charge. I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> I think so, he was just making Niall aware of the situation. Niall was just like, I should execute you right now for doing this. Okay, but before you should do that, there's there's still, like, machinations going. So those those kind of got to keep rolling. There's A, B, and C going on. Just so you know, have fun with that. It's more like It's not going to be my problem. Pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. It's more like A through M, really. Yeah, a whole lot. So... Uh, after that, he decides, okay, maybe I'll just arrest you instead. And uh, Levi, Irvin asking Levi to step back, saying, like, hey, if you die now, it'll be a pity. And Levi with a great line of just, like, well, every death's been pointless. Yeah, a pointless death right. wouldn't suit you. You're right. Doesn't suit anyone else either. Yeah. So. And that was a really whole, good line. Attack on Titan. Pointless death. <laughs> that's basically it in a nutshell. Yeah. We were watching the opening theme, and I was like, hey, look at all the dead people. 
That's this entire series, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Look at all the dead so people. Sad. That's just the opening screen. Hey, look at all the soon-to-bees. Oh, <laughs> well, at this yeah. point, it really is. Look at all the dead people. <laughs> so as they're all trying to figure out a scramble how to help, and um, our Armin explained, like, hey, it's a Mikasa. There's not much you can do. It's just... Too tight in this fighting. We really can't do anything in here. In this situation, we do have Aaron and Annie duking it out with Annie at first getting the upper hand, beating the crap out of Aaron as she's having flashbacks to her father training her, and we get a little bit more of her story. When Aaron goes, DBZ yes. Super Saiyan. Yes. on fire. So freak out. he is burning with desire, both figuratively and literally. It <laughs> He's is. Just <laughs> burning. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Just fire! How is that possible? I mean, it, I guess it makes sense. Annie has, you know, ice powers randomly. Well, and she she has like a hardening crystal ability, but we see that like the Titans are naturally like hotter. Like when Hanji like touched his like exposed Titan flesh, he burned her hand. So the Titans and they have steam coming off them. The Titans' internal body temperature is just higher, and maybe it responds to emotion. So, you know, Aaron just hit combustion level. That makes sense, actually, in its own way. Also, I think his fangs grew a little bit. Maybe, or we just see them a whole lot. Well, and we just see them well, a whole it, lot. They, no, they, they they cease becoming teeth, and they do kind of become fangs. Yeah. They just get yeah. pointy. He does regrow about half of them in the middle of the fight, and <laughs> like it's funny because his eyes are like green half the time, and then they're like really bright, like white or whatever. Is he's on fire? They're glowing. <laughs> Yeah. His eyes are glowing, his everything's glowing, and he is full of murder. And that's when he starts to take the hell out of Annie, so she tries to escape, and Mikasa's there to cut her fingers off. Thanks, well, Mikasa. she runs towards the wall, and he goes galumphing after yeah. her on one arm and one leg, and it's just like <laughs> something out of a horror movie. It's where pretty it looks great. human, but it doesn't move like that. It's like the exorcist or the ring. It's like, you're supposed to be human. What are you doing? You're not supposed and, and to do that. her eyes out. Yeah, he, that, like, crunches he her, her face. face. Oh, that was... Amazing. Yeah, and honestly, that was. I think that really served to dehumanize her to the audience because you're still thinking that's Annie in there, and you can see it in the facial structure, and you can see it in the eyes, and then he crunches her face, and she looks completely different, and she no longer has that beauty, and she no longer looks familiar. I think she it's the looks exact like opposite. a monster. Well, she looked afraid like afterwards, like. If- yeah, yeah no, I didn't think that was meant to dehumanize her. I think that was more to show how how far, for one, Aaron was willing to go. Yeah, and and actually, yeah, it was to get that more emotional kind of visceral response out of the audience because it's like that's her face and that hurts a lot. I'm just talking about afterwards. No, every shot they I, I disagree. Afterwards. I think that's more about like, holy crap, look at what Aaron did. I thought it was about that moment, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, what I got out of it was more just the fear that all of a sudden imparted her after seeing it. Yeah, because that's Aaron's what Aaron will turn into. As, yeah, it's, it's funny because I was thinking, like, well, who's the monster here in that situation? As you see Aaron screaming in his Titan well, inside yeah. of him, it's like he comes across far more as a monster than Annie had before. And and again, even just kind of getting to the wall, you know, she's the one trying, perhaps, you know, maybe that's not, maybe obviously escape is her main goal, but we do see her trying to, in her own way, minimize casualties, and Aaron doesn't care. He's just plowing through everything to get to her because he's just so enraged. And yeah, it's it's kind of, it's, more terrifying to see him than it is to see her because oh, yeah. she's on the defensive. She's the one trying to escape. Well, on the flip side of this is 
she has most likely had a lot more time to practice in her Titan form and have a lot more control. And Aaron, this is like, what, the fourth or fifth time he's transformed? He's still working on it. Well, and his goal was, I'm going to fight her, I'm going to kill her. So that's the one thing that's forefront in even, his mind. Even though he's our protagonist, though, like, and we get his inner monologue going, you know, I'll kill them all, I'll kill them all. Simultaneously, we're getting her flashbacks, and so she's becoming more humanized as he's becoming more animalistic. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we, we probably should move yeah, on really sorry. quick. No, it's all good, but I mean, we should talk about that flashback real quick, though, which is that it's Annie's father apologizing, saying, stand your ground, even if the world is against you, and they'll despise you, I'll always, you'll always have me, but just that really great flashback, that again, I agree with you, humanizes her, and makes it be like, oh, you see where she's coming from. Well, it it lets us know, because it's the, the whole running thing has been, like, in order to win this war, we have to abandon our humanity. And Aaron's abandoning his humanity and winning. Annie is gaining her humanity and losing. That is so depressing. <laughs> yeah, God, I guess that's a I'm good gonna point. cry now. Yeah, and and even when when you know he he rips open you know the female Titan exterior and finds her underneath, she's crying. Yeah. she's weeping, and and that's what causes him to hesitate. Yeah, he does end up giving pause. He still does have that bit of humanity in him, which causes him to then lose. So <laughs> yeah. then he loses as she turns into crystal form and actually somehow starts merging with him or something to that extent. I, I, I think it was the hardening technique. Um, was, was like merging over Aaron at the same time. Yeah. Possibly. So mm-hmm. it's what it does is just she ends up casting this crystal and crystallizing herself into this hard form. That basically completely preserves her, but also completely stops her from having anything. She can't get out. It seems like no one can get in. She's completely separated. In Final Fantasy terms, she casts Shell, level 5. <laughs> yeah, but this one ain't leaving. That's true. Nope. But that makes me wonder if she has the power at any point to get herself out of it, or if she is literally trapped. Like she, Because obviously nobody can get in, uh, and for all intents and purposes, she looks like she's asleep. But I, I'm wondering if she has the power to just sort of turn it off whenever she wants. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's something that's definitely I, worth I, questioning. I don't know if she, she doesn't seem like she's aware. It looks like she's just like basically taking the cyanide pill. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Yeah, I, I, at this point, it's really hard to tell. But uh, Aaron wakes up as John is trying to bust her out and can't get to her, and Hanji's really worried here because without being able to question Annie, that means that. They lost. I mean, that's what this was all about, was trying to capture her to be able to question her. Yeah, the scouts have nothing, essentially. So, Irvin gets questioned by the higher-ups about what was this all for? Why should we not unsanction you? Why should we we externate you for everything that's happened? And he's being tried really hard about this, and his reasoning is... I think, honestly, I think any audience would be like, come on, to the higher-ups. We learned things. Yeah. So many things were learned. The scouts are the only ones doing anything, but of course the higher-ups in this world are incredibly infuriating. Well, you saw the guys like, I'm grasping at straws to exonerate you. It's like, it's very clearly that this guy's just like, okay, I know since I'm a military guy that what you did was probably the right thing, but I gotta justify this to a lot of civilians who just watch their families die, so give me something. And even one of the council members was like, that's not gonna fix my roof. 
Just saying. <laughs> Congratulations! Now you know what it's like to live on the outer walls. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Right? I like as he Deal says, like, with it. It's like that. It's like it lost my roof. It's like we saw so many people die. Like there's like there couldn't have been. It's just like well, that's not going to bring my daughter back. It's like this guy's like, oh my roof. Yeah, no, I was thinking <laughs> I the same think thing. Of all the things. Forever to reshingle. Yeah. I think that also highlights just how completely disconnected from reality. Most of this council and most of the people in the inner wall and the financially higher up are. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same as the merchant who way back when was trying to get his cart through and preventing people from evacuating. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think it just shows just how incredibly distant it is. But, but in fairness, it was a really nice cart. It's also a really nice roof. Yeah, that yeah. roof was incredible. I mean, did you see that job? It took like months. So it was like the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, it was incredible. They carved it out of stone. So Irvin, why would you uh, carve your roof out of stone? <laughs> because if you can get it to stand up, so it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So and Ir- then put it on top of a wood house. <laughs> Irvin pointing uh, out... That guy's house is probably not what it would. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Irvin pointing out here that essentially we've all moved forward by leaps and bounds and we now know uh, the Titans are in our wall, which is something we didn't know before. So now we know that because of Annie and now we're going to take the initiative. So there's all these things that we've learned. Essentially, you say, Kate, that they've learned so much and now we can actually move forward from here. So this is actually great because of all the information that we got and that we've learned through all of this. Gotta love it when you can spin a pirate victory. That's always <laughs> yeah. a good day. I mean, I say, like, it really is still, you stopped one of the inner titans that even if they're, you didn't get any information out of them, that was one of the titans who was against you. It's like killing a spy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still, I'd call it a victory if you got rid of a spy. So regardless, that that's how he moves forward and gets them exonerated. And on the flip side, we've got Aaron with Mikasa, Armin, and Jean as um, Aaron explained that he froze when he saw Annie's face. And him getting some alone time with Mikasa, uh, it's a nice little tender moment between the two of them there. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was just really sweet. And and now that we've gotten to talk to Trina, it's nice to, it's like, oh, okay, this is a brotherly, sisterly moment. I still don't <laughs> buy it. I still don't buy it. You're allowed to ship what you, know, you like. Trina didn't okay. write it. Trina hasn't written it. She's but just saying Mike her perspective. Telling, well, Mike also told her that. Mike <laughs> didn't write it either. He's the director. But He's he didn't director. write it. He's a, <laughs> who knows what the yeah. writer of the manga has planned for thir- season three. <laughs> well, the manga doesn't have nearly the shippy stuff that the anime does, so yeah. uh, there's also that. I think, I think that's mostly us shipping it, yeah. also, too. Who's Guys, us? let him, let him ship it. It's okay. He's it's okay. Allowed to, he's, he's allowed, allowed, to, allowed to, ship. to ship what he likes, even if he's wrong. Can't I just have some love in my heart? No! In a show? Continue on! <laughs> No, you march forward we with have, your heart empty and no one to, to love you. We have to abandon our humanity if we're going to cover this show. Oh, good point. Okay, so does that mean we've all lost? I think it does. So for the most part, uh, that basically on that note, Jean doesn't like that fire versus fire, as Armin has to explain. Uh, he's glad that Aaron can finally do things. So uh, we get the final part of this episode: is the wall close up with uh, with something something interesting in the Cartoon Network version, really. They, but they killed the stinger in the Cartoon yeah, Network version. No, this was really why? sad. So for those of you who are watching on Cartoon Network and haven't watched this before, we're about to blow your mind. So watch it on Hulu or Netflix where they showed it because it was supposed to be there. Yeah. Inside well, the wall, yeah. it crumbles over and you find out that the wall is made up of titans. Colossal class titans. There are titans in the wall. Part of the wall where Annie had been climbing falls away and you just see an eye. 
And then what? Yeah. That's not okay. Which That's oddly not enough, okay. if you guys remember in the opening, there is a scene where it's just like a painting on a wall of looks like massive giants, like arms out right next to each other going across. It's there for briefly. I remember seeing it. So. Yeah. Uh, and it's that's the hinted. point where, you know, if you haven't read the manga and you're watching this show, where you just want to throw something at your television because it's like, end of season! End of series! And at that point, you know, season two hadn't been announced or anything. So you just want to throw something at your TV because it's like, what does that even mean? It's like, that's it. I'm going to go read a lot of manga. So, on that note, let's uh, do predictions real quick for... I, this, I can do predictions. I haven't seen the, <laughs> yeah, ever read anything. Read Maybe it's only manga. me. <laughs> Have you guys all read the manga? Yes. Up to volume 13. I'm not completely okay. caught 14. up with right, everything that has been published right. and released in America. I guess I'm the only person that can say anything then. Go ahead, all right. Let's hear so it. So, here's some, here's some guesses. I already know more about some of the Titans, stuff, so I'm not going to say that end. But I predict that, A, we're going to get some more turmoil with the... Uh, the higher ups, and again, they're going to be colossal douches and completely <laughs> screw everything over for everybody as they always do. While the scouts try to move forward with things, I think we're going to actually see some real characters dying in the second season. I'm talking about characters that you've known for more than three episodes and aren't red shirts. Uh, well, other the three main characters, well, Marco, I mean, he kind of, we've known him for like five episodes maybe. I think at this point we were connected to people a lot more than Marco. When Marco died the first time I watched, I was like, eh. But I think, uh, although Mikasa, Aaron, and Armin are definitely going to survive. Uh, I th- they're going to go on a quest for the key. I don't think they're going to find it, though, for a long time. I think that's going to probably be a season three thing. I don't think they're even going to find it in season two. What do you think is in the basement? Cause I that, don't think we're going to find out. <laughs> science! But, yeah, yeah just Science! I Here's what I here's what I'm predicting that at some point and it's probably going to be a long time we're going to go to Annie's homeland. Yeah, oh. I, I agree with that. The Titan Shifters, where they come from, we're going to find it. This is such a yes. hard show to predict though because it really is off the wall. But but uh, just real quick before we wrap up, Pause I do want I do want to thank some of you guys uh, who've been commenting on YouTube because we do read all of them even if we don't have the time to respond. Master Gamer ninety eight double oh seven, Mark W, the Young Genin Sasuke, Andrew Fedge. Uh, Lotto Azul, Jesse T, James Smith, Mary Rarua, Rurua, Screaming Dean, Eva Beals, Wilkes Heine, Ozgand, Steven Schumann, there's a lot of names. Tracy Martinez, you commented a bunch, wanted to thank you. Joss Cap, Joseph Ortiz, Titiana Ragland, Shot Rage, and then there are a bunch more of you. Thank you guys so much. Thank I just can't read out everybody. But thank I'm you guys so much. Yes, but we do uh, we do read all of your comments, so thank you guys. So once yes. again, on Dave Klein, you can find me on Twitter at the Dave Klein. That's K L E I N. I'm Megan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I'm John Quick. You can find me on Twitter at, at Now Quick and the Legend of Core After Panel. See you guys in an hour. I'm Katie Cullen. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Kiaxet. That's K I A X E T. I'm also on Sword Art Online and Z Nation. And that wraps up Attack on Titan for this season. So next yes! season can't come soon enough. Woo! Really though. Really. See you guys next season. Bye, guys. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Bye. See you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.